You are entering the Freedom Hut. The whistleblower complaint is out. We will get into what this means, both for the narrative of some malfeasance by President Trump the Democrats are running with, and also what does it mean for the impeachment process that Democrats have started. We've got that and much more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. So today, this morning, uh, you saw the whistleblower... The whistleblower complaint. Uh, We don't know who the whistleblower is quite yet, although I have a feeling it's a Democrat. I think that's that's fair to say. I think that that's not a surprise to anybody. And we had, although the whistleblower is fighting to remain anonymous, so we have to get a sense as to whether or not that is going to remain the case. But it was stunning this morning when you're listening to Democrats And what you're hearing from them is just a series of allegations based upon secondhand information from a whistleblower who, when I read through the complaint, it was quite clear that somebody was involved in this outside the parameters of just a a concerned person from within the intelligence community. There are so many problems with this. There are problems when it comes to constitutional separation of powers, with jurisdiction, with whether or not somebody in the intelligence community is even in a position to comment on in any way what the president of the United States, in this case, President Trump, has to say to a fellow head of state. This is fraught with issues, but one thing is very clear, as we saw from the Testimony in front of the uh, House Intelligence Committee by DNI, Acting Director of National Intelligence, McGuire, this morning. This is now the latest effort by the Democrats to come up with some way of destroying the Trump presidency. This is their newest addition to Russia collusion, the Emoluments Clause, the 25th Amendment, yet another construct involving people inside the apparatus of the government itself. And there's a lot of layers here that we'll go through together today on the show. First, though, I I would note that what you are seeing here, we often talk about the weaponization of the intelligence community, but there has really been something else that has, has been laid bare by Democrats' efforts here. And that is that the bureaucracy is really, for them, the ultimate branch of government, that the people that work in the different federal agencies, they are a check on conservative ideology. They are a check on what the elites and what the establishment think is a threat. And that's very dangerous. We have a bureaucracy that is in place, yes, of course, to obey laws and to uphold the Constitution, but to be the action arm of the federal government, which means that all these federal bureaucrats work for President Trump. And what we have seen many times over, whether it's Comey or McCabe or Strzok or Page or Clapper or Brennan or you name it, 
What we've seen are individuals who have taken it upon themselves to use their access and use their power in order to be not just a check on presidential uh, authority and the president's proclamations, but an effort to unseat him. Yet another soft coup attempt is what is underway right now with this whistleblower complaint. You would think... You would think that President Trump at this point, based on his record, based on everything that has gone on, would be, according to Democrats, easy to unseat in the next election. So why is this whistleblower complaint coming out now in this way? Why is Adam Schiff seizing on this as though we didn't see two years of him lying about Russia collusion? Oh, he had evidence of collusion, sure, except he didn't. Why is he seizing upon this moment? Well, because his constituents, the people that support him, the Democrat, the lib media, they aren't upset at the destruction of credibility that has gone on in order to try to take out Trump. That doesn't bother them. The only thing that bothers them is that it has thus far been unsuccessful. The only part of this that they find problematic is that Trump is still president. So any additional effort, any next take that they have at trying to take down Trump, they're on board for it. There is so much, as I read the text of the whistleblower complaint, there is so much that is uh, obvious about the, the intention here. This person who did not even hear the phone conversation concocted a narrative and, and, and used it and knew the bureaucracy well enough to make this an opportunity to go after the president of the United States, when really the whistleblower law as it stands, it's not even clear how this applies to the president because it's not an intelligence activity. The president speaking to a foreign head of state is not something that someone in the intelligence community, as DNI McGuire was saying this morning, has any influence over or say say in so what is the whistle being blown for here exactly when you read through the complaint which i've done several times over the course of the day it is quite clear that this person whoever it is is fanatical about defending biden that biden as the democrat frontrunner right now to challenge trump is somewhat sacred to the democratic party And perhaps it's worth taking a step back and remembering the fanatical defense of Hillary Clinton, that the same partisans inside of government and inside of media leveled back in 2015 into 2016 in order to defend her prospect of what they thought was a sure victory over Donald Trump. They lied and lied and lied. They ignored the law. They broke the law. Hillary deleted emails. You know, uh, blackberries were smashed with hammers. Nobody ever got charged for lying under oath. They did everything they could to make sure that Hillary's lawyers were present with her, even when the lawyers were actually implicated in some of the very crimes that could have been charged. They gave not just every uh, opportunity to Hillary. They they made it go away. And that was the great service that James Comey thought he was doing which was standing up, usurping the authority of the attorney general. And as we know now, Comey will usurp anyone's authority. He thinks the greatest, the highest power in the United States government was James Comey in his own mind. 
So he stands in front of the American people and says that no reasonable prosecutor would have brought charges against Hillary Clinton. Meanwhile, there are reasonable prosecutors all across the country that say that's not true. So that's a very strange statement for the then FBI director to make. And it does not change the the facts of the case, which are agreed upon. Hillary Clinton broke the law. Why am I talking about Hillary Clinton? Well, if they were willing to do that in order to defend Hillary the first time around, which was abandon the plain text of the statute at issue, the recklessness with which Hillary exposed national security secrets over 100 times on her own private server, and all the efforts to then cover it up afterwards, which they didn't even look into, really. They just ignored it. If they're willing to do that for Hillary, what do you think they're willing to do for Joe Biden? What do you think that now that they've lived through three going on four years of a Trump presidency, the Trump deranged left will do in order to protect what they think is the single best chance they have of defeating Trump in an election? Never mind if they can bring him down before the election, which would be their fondest wish of all. They'll do anything to defend the Bidens. They'll say anything to defend the Bidens. The entire apparatus of the deep state bureaucracy, the Democrat media, the libs and all their comrades across the country. They'll do whatever they have to do in order to save Biden's chances of beating Trump. They don't care about the corruption. They don't care about the very likely appearance. I mean, I'm sorry, the very likely reality of actual illegal activity, never mind what is already established, which is the bizarre, obvious and open appearance of impropriety with Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, getting paid $50,000 a month. Now, there are stories that are swirling right now in the background about the next shoe to drop. And it's supposed to be relating to Biden specifically to the Bidens. And I've heard from people who know, you all recall, I worked with uh, John Solomon down at the Hill for over a year. I've heard from people who know that the Bidens are in a whole heck of a lot of trouble as soon as the information comes out. I haven't seen it myself. So I'm not, unlike the whistleblower, I don't pretend to know that which I have not seen or do not know firsthand. But I do have credible people telling me that as soon as it is clear what's really going on here with the Bidens, the Democrats are going to be on the defensive in a way that they haven't been since Hillary Clinton violated the Espionage Act over 100 times, which she did. And they just made it go away. They're going to have to make something go away for Biden, too. So why the ferocity and, and all this focus on process and trying to get someone to say that what President Trump did here in this conversation was a crime. There's no crime. And I'm sorry that there are legal analysts, including one at Fox, who say things like there is a crime here because there's not. It's just not there. If anything, it's politics. But guess what? The president of the United States is allowed to engage in politics, including when he's engaging in foreign policy. There's a lot more that we have to look at here in the text of the of the complaint itself. And uh, I will bring that all to you, my friends. Stay with me. You know, a lot of partisan posturing at the 
hearing this morning for the whistleblower complaint. Now that it's out, you can read it, and we'll get into some of the specific text of it. But I wanted to just share with you some of Congressman Devin Nunes's opening statement, because Nunes has been in the thick of this the whole time. He's been right. The left vilified him, hated him, tried to destroy his credibility, tried to say that you know, he was a, a pawn of Trump and he, you couldn't trust him. Here's what Nunes, who, as I've been saying all along, is the guy who has a, a good record on this. Here's what he had to say. Quote, I want to congratulate the Democrats on the rollout of their latest information warfare against the president and their extraordinary ability once again to enlist the mainstream media in their campaign. This operation began with media reports from the prime instigators of the Russia collusion hoax that a whistleblower is claiming President Trump made a nefarious promise to a foreign leader. The released transcript of the call has already debunked that central assertion, but that didn't matter. The Democrats simply moved the goalposts and began claiming that there doesn't need to be a quid pro quo for this conversation to serve as the basis for impeaching the president. Speaker Pelosi went even further when asked if she'd put the brakes on impeachment if the transcript turned out to be benign. She responded, we have many other candidates for impeachable offenses. So there you go. If their whistleblower operation doesn't work out, the Democrats and their media assets can always draw up something else. And what other information has come to light since the original false report of a promise being made? Well, we've learned the following. The complaint relied on hearsay evidence provided by the whistleblower. The inspector general did not know the contents of the phone call at issue. The inspector general found that the whistleblower displayed arguable political bias against Trump. The Department of Justice investigated the complaint and determined no action was warranted. The Ukrainian president denies being pressured by President Trump. That's pretty stunning stuff when you add it all together. You remember how initially we were told, oh, my gosh, the inspector general, the inspector general said that it was it was urgent, an urgent complaint. And what had I, what had I been telling you as of yesterday? Of course, the inspector general is going to pass that along. An urgent complaint about pr- the president's malfeasance. We must take this up the chain of command right away. Because if you don't, it doesn't matter what's in the complaint. Then you're part of the people that are protecting Trump and they hate you for it. So it's not surprising at all that uh, Atkinson, the inspector general, said, OK, well, this is I guess this is ur- the guy bringing the complaint says it's urgent. I guess it's urgent. Let's pass it along. Well, he largely wipes his wipes his hands of the whole thing. So that's not surprising. What is perhaps a little bit more interesting is that he didn't even know what was in the complaint specifically. Um, did not know the contents of the phone call at issue, rather. So he didn't know. What was really said on the phone, he just knows what the whistleblower says was said on the phone. That's that's meaningful. (laughs) That that, that makes a big difference. Right. This is uh, similar to if somebody goes into a police station and files a complaint against someone and the police say, well, I, I mean, the complaint is credible. All that means is that it's not on its face, obviously false right away. And all they have to go on is this one person's word. That doesn't mean that the police are in agreement that this one person is correct and everything they're saying is true. But that's the way the Democrats have been rolling out this whole whistleblower situation. This was, you want to talk about about collusion. I mean, this is a conspiracy. 
I'm not a conspiracy theorist. This is a conspiracy. There are other people. When you read this complaint, you can tell that there have been people helping this along the way, that there are individuals who were making sure that this was framing a narrative. Why do the Democrats want to get the complaint out so badly? Not just the transcript of the call. And I would also note, I think that this White House has learned you got to ju- you got to get after this stuff right away. They released the transcript very quickly because they've been through the Russia collusion hoax. They know that good faith is not going to be met with good faith from the other side. All that's going to happen is you will have individuals who will come forward and just say, oh, they're not releasing it in a timely enough fashion. They're obstructing. They're hiding. They even tried that this morning with Deanna McGuire. Deanna McGuire is saying, look, the guy's a SEAL, served his country for 40 years, seems like a very squared away individual, the acting director of national intelligence. And I thought he acquitted himself very well this morning. I thought he did an excellent job in the hearing that I was able to watch. And they kept pushing him on trying to get him to say, one, that what's in the complaint is really bad. And he says, look, that's not my call. And they kept trying. And Adam Schiff, who couldn't be any sleazier as a politician in these areas than he is, tried to get him, oh, just tell us how terrible, how awful this is. And then he also brought up why the complaint didn't go right away. Well, there's an issue, see, of executive privilege. This member of the intelligence community decided that executive privilege does not apply here and they wanted to get the information to Congress as fast as possible. But this is somebody playing politics inside the IC to take down this president. It's not going to work, but we need to uh, man the barricades, my friends, because this is going to get a lot uglier before it's over. That's for sure. We have more on this uh, coming back in just a moment. Stay with me. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. The essence of what the president communicates, we've been very good to your country, very good. No other country has done as much as we have. But you know what? I don't see much reciprocity here. I hear what you want. I have a favor I want from you, though. And I'm going to say this only seven times, so you better listen good. I want you to make up dirt on my political opponent, understand lots of it. On this and on that, I'm going to put you in touch with people, not just any people. I'm going to put you in touch with Attorney General of the United States, my Attorney General, Bill Barr. He's got the whole weight of the American law enforcement behind him. And I'm going to put you in touch with Rudy. You're going to love him, trust me. You know what I'm asking, and so I'm only going to say this a few more times, in a few more ways. And by the way, don't call me again. I'll call you when you've done what I asked. This is, in sum and character, what the president was trying to communicate. No, it is with the not. the presence of Ukraine. It would be funny if it wasn't such a graphic betrayal. No, it of is not. the oath of office. This is garbage. But as it does represent a real betrayal, there's nothing the president says here that is in America's interest, after all. Okay, 
this this goes into one of my my buckisms. If what Trump says or does is so bad, why do they always have to lie about it? That was Adam Schiff doing the in other words trick. You know, this is Democrats do this all the time. You know, in other words, oh, Buck, what do you think about illegal immigration? Well, I think illegal immigration is bad because it's a violation of law and U.S. sovereignty. Oh, so in other words, that's white nationalism. No, that's not how (laughs) those are other words. It's not it's the other person's words. It's not another version of the same sentiment or they do this all the time. And in fact, if you've never go back and watch the Professor Jordan Peterson uh, conversation with this BBC, this woman at the BBC, or maybe maybe it was a CBC in Canada or is the BBC? I think it was the BBC. But he keeps saying what he says. And then in response, she goes, so, so in other words, so, so in other words, you're a sexist. So, so in other words, you're, and he, and he keeps looking at her like, no, no, I'm not. You know, his nice Canadian Jordan Peterson accent. No, no, I'm not. You know, that's not what he's saying. Here you have a sitting member of Congress, guy on the Intel committee at the forefront of the Russia collusion hoax, actually doing the equivalent of an interpretive dance here in response to the transcript being released of this conversation, of this phone call. I mean, he might as well stand up there and just start spouting off whatever comes into his mind because it's irrelevant. Why would he do that? Why would he create this character of Trump and say things that are not true? And by the way, notice how he just slips in there to make up stuff about your opponent. How do Democrats know what Hunter Biden did? How do Democrats know the truth of the allegations of what certainly looks like corruption to anybody who's not an idiot. Hunter Biden wasn't worth $50,000 a month to Burisma. He wasn't worth $5,000 a month to Burisma without dad as vice president running Ukraine policy. Full stop. We know this. And yet the Democrats expect us to pretend that we do not know this. I mean, Adam Schiff is, is difficult to listen to. At least we have Representative Nunes there giving a bit of balance this morning. Here's what he said. Play 27. I just want to get one thing straight, because one of the quotes they're going to use from you is you saying that this was a credible uh, complaint that will be used and spun as you're saying that it was true. And I want to give you an opportunity to you. You do not. You have not investigated the veracity or the truthfulness of this complaint. Uh, that's correct, ranking member. The determination on credible was made by the IC Inspector General. He made the determination that it is credible, and he also made the determination of urgent concern. So the Inspector General is the one that says it's credible and urgent concern, but he's just reading the whistleblower complaint. That's just that's one version of the story based on someone who never even saw or heard the original story. But you see how narrative creation works? Oh, the inspector general thought it was credible and thought it was urgent. All that means is that somebody presented it with something. And, you know, it would be if if I walked into any police station in the country and I said, hey, guys, um, I got to tell you about something. Someone broke into my house and stole you know, stole my my uh, million dollar Rolex, which would be a very nice Rolex. But you know, somebody broke in and stole my million dollar Rolex. The police—that's a credible complaint. They don't know if I have that Rolex. They don't know if somebody stole it. But you know, that could work. Yeah, sure. And then they file that report. 
And then there's an urgency to, well, we need to make sure that if there's a burglar out there, we catch him. And so, sure, it's a credible and urgent complaint based on what I've said. That doesn't mean any of it is true. It doesn't mean anything has even happened. It's just my word going through the process. But the focus on process from the Democrats here has all along been an effort to add more meat onto the bone here because there's just no there there. Doesn't exist. President, there is there is no quid pro quo. What they're really establishing is Hunter Biden's son, because Joe Biden is so important to the Democrats right now, which tells you a lot of the Democrats because Joe Biden's a deeply unimpressive guy and kind of a kind of a dumb fellow, if we're really going to be honest about it. Uh, but Joe Biden's so important to the Democrats that there's special law that applies to Hunter Biden. And that special law is you can't investigate this guy. I mean, Democrats think anybody, the president, his children, his campaign, you know, anybody can be investigated on a whim, on fake information, on a fake dossier paid for by the Hillary Clinton DNC. They investigate it. They'll use FISA against the Trump campaign. We're supposed to be used for foreign spies, uh, used against foreign spies and terrorists. They'll use FISA against Trump associates trying to get to Trump. And Hunter Biden is off limits. Explain why. Why is that the case? All you need to know is that he was getting $50,000 a month and there is an obvious appearance of impropriety there. And, you can, and, and that's the basis for an investigation. Trump didn't say, you know, hey, Ukraine, invite Hunter Biden over for lunch and then throw him in a dark prison cell somewhere. In fact, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, in the transcript, and Zelensky has also said that there was no pressure. And, you know, he's like, look, guys, you got to calm down, American media. The 2016 election is entirely fair game. There's already a Department of Justice investigation going on, and we need Ukrainian government assistance in that process. There's nothing wrong with that portion of the call. What they try to do, though, is say the request for assistance looking into 2016 election interference. This is where Trump talks about crowd strike. And then when Zelensky talks about another another phase of investigative cooperation and brings up and the Biden issue is brought up, that's that they try to condense those two things into being exactly the same. But I would say that there is no. There is no world in which the president of the United States is not able to say to a foreign government, hey, you know, there's corruption that touches on some stuff with some guys in our country. Can you look into that? Prosecutors make decisions like this every day across the country, who to investigate, who not to investigate. In fact, that's why I often say that the prosecutorial arm of our government is the most concerning when it comes to abuse, because they don't even have to prove you guilty. All they have to do is bring charges. And a lot of cases, all they really have to do is an investigation. You know, see how see how well your small business does after a bunch of guys and FBI windbreakers show up, grab all your computers, and on the front page of your local newspaper is FBI raid of Buck's amazing hair company or something. I don't know, whatever it is. Hair products. That's what I, I should get in the hair products game. You know what I mean? That'd be fun. So Schiff is running around spinning the usual lies. That's not really surprising. The veracity of the complaint has not been looked at. But there's another another layer. There's so much going on here. And if you allow them, the, the leftist media will just spin and spin until you're dizzy and you don't even know which way is up anymore. And that's their hope. They, they hope that we forget about what they did for the 
Russia collusion mess, the lies that they told, the promises that they did not end up keeping about how they're going to find, you know, they're going to find out what really happened. Fred Flights, who is my former brother from Langley, he's a former CIA analyst, and he's also an NSC official. Here's what he had to say. I mean, this this is a tweet storm. You know what? Let me let me take a quick moment. here. I'm going to come back. We're going to walk you through how just looking at the process and what went on here, there is a nefarious hand at work. This was not a good faith. Oh, I'm so scared. The president has overstepped his bounds thing. This was a partisan hit. Of course it was. We will get into the specifics of that, though, after the break. Stay with me. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. So I was telling you about this uh, whistleblower complaint, this whole situation and what we're seeing from the Democrats. My friend, my former brother from Langley, Fred Flights, a CIA analyst, just like I was, he writes the following about this whole situation. Uh, he, He writes that this is not an intelligence matter. It is a policy matter and a complaint about differences over policy. Presidential phone calls are not an intelligence concern. The fact that IC officers transcribe these calls does not give the IC inspector general jurisdiction over these calls. It appears that rules restricting access and knowledge of these sensitive calls was breached. This official was not on this call and not on the approved dissemination list and should not have been briefed on the call. The way this complaint was written suggested the author had a lot of help. I know from my work on the House Intel Committee staff that many whistleblowers go directly to the Intel Oversight Committees. Did this whistleblower first meet with House Intel Committee members? It is therefore important that Congress find out where this complaint came from. Where did House and Senate Intel Committee Dem members and staff know about it and when? Did they help orchestrate this complaint? I think the answer is yes. My view is that this whistleblower complaint is too convenient and too perfect to come from a typical whistleblower. Were other IC officers involved? Were outside groups opposed to the president involved? And then he gets into something else that's very true. This complaint will further damage IC relations with the White House for many years to come because IC officers appear to be politicizing presidential phone calls with foreign officials and their access to the president and his activities in the White House. Worst of all, this IC officer and probably others have blatantly crossed the line into policy. This violates a core responsibility of IC officers to inform but not make policy. This is such a grievous violation of trust between the IC and the White House that it would not surprise me if IC officers are barred from all access to POTUS phone calls with foreign officials, end quote. That's all from Fred Flight, who you know we've had many times before here on the show. He's absolutely right. And I would note that uh, Nunes today pointed out that this isn't even the first time that this has happened, that a presidential phone call has made its way out into public. Now, this time they went through, you might say, Buck, why would they go through the whistleblower process and not just leak it to the press? Ah, but you see, that's the whole point, to weaponize the process, to create the appearance of credibility, just like what they try to do during the Kavanaugh debacle 
by saying, well, let's have the FBI investigate these background. Oh, there's an FBI investigation. There must be something real here. No. Just using the process does not mean that the outcome is whatever the Democrats and the left say it is. That's why they've gone with this complaint, though, to give it the veneer of honesty and impartiality that would absolutely not otherwise have. Here's Nunes asking DNI McGuire about whether or not there were some leaks involved here. Plus, uh, play 28. Did anybody, you or anybody in your office, leak this to the Washington Post or NBC News? Ranking member, I lead the intelligence community. We know how to keep a secret. Uh, as far as how that got into the press, I really do not know, sir. I just know that it's all over the place. And as you said, it's been reported by different uh, uh, media for the past several weeks. Where they get their information from, I don't know. So that, but it was, you know, but it was not it was not from the intelligence community, from me or from my office. Somebody has been leaking something. A conversation the president had, you'll recall, with the president, President Trump had with the president of Mexico. That leaked. A conversation the president had with the uh, prime minister of Australia. That leaked. There's somebody with access to this stuff who looks at presidential phone calls as an opportunity to score political points against the commander in chief. This is an abuse of access. It is a violation of oath of office. And it's illegal, by the way. You will notice in the declassified transcript of the phone call that's out, it had the it had the uh, citations on it, the classification markings, secret, no foreign secret information. That's what was on. That's what the the call was initially uh, qualified as. I saw another thing today. They're claiming, oh, but this this phone call was held in a separate place from where other phone calls were at a higher level of classification. Uh, I'm sorry, I I don't buy that there's some cover-up here. And if there was a cover-up, don't you think that they would have tried to fight the release of the transcript a little bit more? Instead, they released the transcript as soon as this became an issue. They said, all right, here's the transcript. And we've looked at it. We've all said, those of us who are looking at it honestly, there's just nothing there. It's just not a big deal. They can pretend it's a big deal, but it's not a big deal. Adam Schiff, though, is seeing this as an opportunity to put right what went wrong in the past. And what went wrong in the past is that he was unable to successfully mount a soft coup against the president of the United States. He tried really hard. He tried really hard. But when this guy starts waxing philosophical about the Constitution, I really feel my skin crawl. The damage that is being done to the very institutions that the anti-Trump Democrats in the House and in the media, I mean, the media and the, and the Democratic Party are just, they're a, symb- they're a, a symbiotic organism. And they're really, the, it's not even symbiosis anymore. They're the same organism. They're just different ends of it. They're just different parts. But the media, 90% of it, wants to get Trump out of office, hates Trump, thinks he's terrible. The Democratic Party works hand in glove with them to create these narratives. And those of us who look at this and say, well, hold on a second. What exactly is being alleged here? What really went on? We're told, oh, well, we're the bad guys. We're the ones who aren't seeing it for what it is. We're the ones who don't understand exactly what's going on here. I'm sorry, but enough's enough. And I think that we're going to find out more about this Biden corruption. That's a big part of this. We'll get into that in in a moment. And Democrat corruption. All right. And with that, it's time we jump to our segment, the Black Rifle Coffee Wake Up Call. That's right. Today we are drinking, oh, Freedom Blend. 
It's named for freedom, my friends, and it's also absolutely delicious. I like drinking Black Rifle coffee at least two or three times a day, in the morning, the afternoon, and maybe again the afternoon just so I get fired up. There's nothing quite like Black Rifle coffee when it comes to giving you a kick in the pants, and this is a great American brand that helps first responders, veterans, and people throughout the law enforcement community. It's a give-back company. A portion of all of Black Rifle's profits go to supporting veteran and first responder causes. So join their coffee club. Get your wake-up call with Black Rifle Coffee. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash buck and get 20% off your first purchase. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 20% off your first purchase. One more time, blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. That will get you 20% off your first purchase. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Whistleblower says... I have received information from multiple U.S. government officials that the President of the United States is using the power of his office to solicit interference from a foreign country in the 2020 U.S. election. You would agree that should be investigated, would you not? Chairman, the horse has left the barn. You have all of the information. You have the whistleblower complaint. You have the letter from the ICIG. You have the Office of Legal Counsel opinion. Yes, but and you uh, have yes, we do. But would you agree it? that I if there is a serious, incredible an investigation, that you agree there should be an investigation? I believe that it is a matter to be determined by the chair and this committee. Notice how shifty shift there. And welcome back to the Buck Saxon show. How, how he says. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you agree that there should be. No, no he didn't say that. Deanine McGuire said, he, he said, I feel confident there will be an investigation. He did not say, I think there should be. But Chip is just trying to get more to go with here, trying to create more fodder for the narrative and back him into a corner, into agreeing with the Democrats. How many soft coup attempts now? I can't even count them all up. But let's look for a moment, shall we, at the actual whistleblower complaint, which I, I wanted to do with all of you here. Uh, it's not just in a a narrative format of this is what my concern, this is what happened. I mean, this is like a D, this is a DNC oppo document all over again. If you were trying to have somebody in the back room of MSNBC come up with something that they could then read on air as the oh my gosh, look what Trump has done moment, this this could be it. But the problem is that. Not only is the partisanship just completely and and utterly in your face, you can't miss it, but beyond that, there's a lot of effort to make it seem like there's more information and there's more credibility to this than there was. For example, um, and this, this comes from my friend Sean Davis over at The Federalist, quote, The document itself is riddled not with evidence directly viewed by the complainant, but repeated references to what anonymous officials allegedly told the complainant. I have received uh, received information from multiple U.S. government officials 
Officials have informed me. Officials with direct knowledge of the call informed me. The White House officials who told me this information. I was told by White House officials. The officials I spoke with. I was told that a State Department official. I learned from multiple U.S. officials. One White House official described this act based on multiple readouts of the meetings recounted to me. I also learned from multiple U.S. officials. The U.S. officials characterized this meeting. I mean, just go on and on and on. This is all just people telling him stuff, he says. Not named. No specificity. Multiple U.S. So what, are there there two anti-Trumpers at the NSC or two anti-Trumpers somewhere in the White House that concocted this plan with this guy or gal, whoever it is in the IC? And they decided that this was the way they were going to roll this out. And of course, Pelosi and the Democrats have seized on this. They don't want to wait for facts or more information. What do they think they're really going to accomplish here? The Department of Justice has already said that there's no crime here. The Office of Legal Counsel, which is binding for the rest of the federal government, opinions from OLC, that's the, that's the highest authority for action within the federal government. OLC says there's no crime here, sorry. And people can argue or not about whether they like the president bringing this up, but that's a policy decision. That's not a wrongdoing decision. But what this is, ultimately, is a Democrat effort to criminalize not just a policy difference, but to criminalize Trump's 2016 victory. They think that what he did is illegal because they hate that he won so much. It doesn't matter that there's no law that was violated. We keep coming back to this. Oh, Russia collusion. He worked with the Russians and, you know, that's why he won. Okay, well, maybe that didn't happen, but he broke the law by being mad about the Russia collusion. We accused him of that he didn't do. Oh, he breaks the law by owning hotels where sometimes foreigners buy cheeseburgers and therefore have influence over his policy decisions. Oh, he's actually crazy. We should get cabinet members to remove him via the 25th Amendment. Who's really crazy here? Who really is the problem? Well, I think we all are getting pretty close to understanding exactly what's going on here. But you look at this whistleblower complaint and it's very it look this is this is like a bunch of lawyers sat around in an office and said how can we how can we come up with something that is effectively the, the equivalent of a political indictment dress it up in legal language oh there's all this stuff in here about uh, national security concerns oh my gosh it's terrible uh, what's the huge national security concern exactly Oh, that the quid pro quo meant that Ukraine wasn't going to get military aid. First of all, the president could say that they aren't going to give the military aid. And that's within the that's within the president's purview. The president can make these decisions. I know you say, oh, Buck, but the Congress appropriates it. Yeah, but the president's a commander in chief. And depending on what he thinks the necessity is of how that money gets spent in a war zone, there's a lot. And this is where you get into a separation of powers issue. And there's a lot of back and forth. But. Ultimately, there was no loss of national security. It didn't exist, didn't happen. In fact, the only real concern that we see coming up over and over again is the possibility of an actual investigation of Joe Biden or Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and what he did there. You know, now we have, uh, I see today, the, a prosecutor who was involved in the investigations in Ukraine has said that there was no, uh, Hunter Biden didn't commit any crime. Okay, well, then what's the big problem with investigating whether or not Hunter Biden was involved in any corruption? Wouldn't they want him to be cleared? 
Shouldn't they be confident that nothing bad happened here? Why? That was the story. You remember this. You know, if Trump opposed the special counsel investigation of him, clearly he's guilty. Why wouldn't he want to clear the air? Why wouldn't he want Mueller and all these? I mean, this is very Soviet thinking, but this is what the Democrats do all the time. You know, they said this. This was with Kavanaugh, too. Oh, he's so angry. Yeah. You know what? I'm a guy. And if somebody lied and falsely accused me of sexual assault from 30 years ago or from any time, I'd be angry, too. Outrage at a false accusation is what a normal, honorable person would feel. Trump being angry about the accusations against him with Ukraine and all that. I mean, sorry, with Russia, rather. I mean, this is this is really just Russia, Russia, Russia. But it's Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. The same play. They're running the same playbook all over again. There's finding some way. Oh, meanwhile, Trump is actually saying, let's look into election interference from 2016 and find out what really happened. You know, Democrats don't want that. Oh, wow. You mean to tell me that there should be some concerns over the nonpartisan or, or the lack of bias in the investigation of the 2016 election interference up to this point? Yeah, I certainly think so. The special counsel run by a bunch of Trump haters. And, and, you know, bringing Mueller out there to be a figurehead for a get Trump operation. It seemed like Mueller hadn't even read his own report, as we know. We've been told that he was the greatest lawman in American history. He was, you know, better than Wyatt Earp himself. And he comes out, seems confused, doesn't know what's going on. Media was lying to us about that the whole time, too. You have to remember, there's a huge incentive for the news media to get Trump, not just because they hate him, but also in their eyes, it will vindicate everything that they've been willing to do up to this point lie fabricate just be dishonest top to bottom it'll vindicate it if they can get trump out of office and they will feel vindicated in the in the eye of the public because they'll say see we told you he was a crook all along it took a lot of a lot of uh pushing and cajoling and we 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 had some misfires here and there but we finally ended the Trump presidency, just like we ended the Nixon presidency. And journalists all want that. I mean, especially the the lib boomers who essentially run all the major newsrooms across the country and are the the most overpaid news anchors on TV. You know, the lib boomers want their Watergate Nixon moment and they want it to be Trump and they won't give up. That'll be the crowning achievement of their careers. And obviously the Democrats are just power mad and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think that they really do believe that they have to stop Trump because if he continues doing what he's doing, and some of it is really just the do no harm aspect of the Trump presidency, not enacting really stupid policies, not getting engaged in wars that we don't have to be fighting. That's good stuff. You let business be business. You let the American people have a little bit more freedom, a little bit, keep a little bit more of their money. I know we're spending too much. The national government's spending too much. But it's a conversation we can continue to have another day. But if this prosperity continues on, they keep saying this can't, this can't go. This can't be the way it is. Well, what if it does? What does that tell us about Democrats and their central planning and their socialism? Oh, it's not all it's, not all it's cracked up to be. huh? What a, what a, what a big surprise there. This whistleblower complaint is garbage. It's garbage. President, I'm certain the president broke no law. And I think that a lot of people look at this and say, after what the Democrats have done to the president, weaponizing investigations, creating a special counsel, James Comey broke FBI regulations specifically to get a special counsel against Trump. 
Hillary Clinton's DNC paid a bunch of foreigners and paid a foreigner to collect information from those foreigners. And then they didn't just use that as an oppo document in the press. They got the FBI to use it as the basis for FISA warrants. And they think they're going to lecture us about what's right and what's fair, what's ethical for the president when it comes to the nest of corruption that is Ukraine. Really? No. Not on my watch, friends. It's not it's not going to happen. Um, look, this is it's, uh, it's going to get uglier. I, I keep telling you because it's important that we remember that these people are unhinged. They have a problem. They have internalized politics to a point where they have no objectivity and no honesty. And when you have no integrity to protect, you have endless options. Adam Schiff is a perfect example of that. Jim Himes. There are others. No integrity to protect whatsoever. It's all about getting Trump and destroying Trump. I want to take you through one other story, though, on this related to this. Did the Democrats ask Ukraine for help getting Trump recently? You might have seen this. I'll address it in a moment. I think they could be. Give me the 30,000 that she deleted. Yes. Yeah, I think they could very well. Boy, that was a nice question. I like that question. Because frankly, I think that one of the great crimes committed is Hillary Clinton deleting 33,000 emails after Congress sends her a subpoena. Think of that. You can't even do that in a civil case. You can't get rid of evidence like that. She deleted. 33,000 emails after, not before, after receiving the subpoena from the U.S. Congress. I mean, I've never heard. Now, she's done far worse than that, although I don't know how much worse it can be. But there were many other things she did that were wrong. But that's so obvious. She gets a subpoena from the United States Congress and she deletes them. And then she said, as I remember it, that, oh, well, they had to do with the wedding and yoga. She does a lot of yoga, right? So they had 33,000 emails about the wedding of her daughter and yoga. I don't think so. How she got away with that one is just, but it's one of many. And it's corrupt government. Huh. The people that are big Hillary defenders are the ones that now tell us they care so much about the law and the Constitution, right? We know that. The, the most angry voices about this whole Trump situation are people that have no problem with Hillary Clinton. No problem with what she did. They think that it was fine. They think that it was a that was the real witch hunt, you see, going after Hillary. I want to remind you that back in May of 2018, there was a letter written by Democrats, only Democrats, Menendez Leahy Durbin of the United States Senate to the general prosecutor Lutsenko in Ukraine. It is in part the following. Dear Mr. Prosecutor General, we are writing to express great concern about reports that your office has taken steps to impede cooperation with the investigation of United States Special Counsel Robert Mueller. As strong advocates for a robust relationship with Ukraine, we believe that our cooperation should extend to such legal matters regardless of politics. Yeah, right. On May 2nd, the New York Times reported that your office effectively froze investigations into four open cases in Ukraine in April, thereby eliminating scope for cooperation with the Mueller probe into related issues. 
The article notes that your office considered these cases as too politically sensitive and potentially jeopardizing U.S. financial and military aid to Ukraine. This investigation not only has implications for the Mueller probe, but also speaks to critically important investigations into corrupt practices of the Yanukovych administration. Blocking cooperation with the Mueller probe potentially cuts off a significant opportunity for Ukrainian law enforcement to conduct a more thorough inquiry into possible crimes committed during the Yanukovych era. And then it goes on and specifically uh, mentions the following. The New York Times article indicates that your office prohibited special prosecutor Horbatyuk from issuing subpoenas for evidence or interviewing witnesses in four open cases in Ukraine related to consulting work performed by Paul Manafort. Okay, so just so I understand the rules here, folks, Democrat senators are allowed to, you know, basically throw a brushback pitch, you know, basically give a little a little warning shot to the general prosecutor in 2018 in Ukraine for not doing enough to look at Paul Manafort, who they who they name. OK, hey, you got to do more because uh, you got to look at Paul Manafort more, you know, for the Mueller probe. You got to look at Paul Manafort more. I, I can, can some Democrat explain to me how that isn't considerably worse under the circumstances than Trump saying, hey, you know, we need because because Trump is executive branch, his DOJ, Bob Barr. I'm sorry, Bill Barr, not Bob Barr. Bill Barr uh, is is the attorney general. There's an ongoing investigation into this. He's the executive branch. You got United States senators who are saying, hey, we don't like the way that you're running your investigation over there. You got to get more on Manafort. Basically, you got to do more to get Manafort. You got to see what's going on there. I, I need a Democrat to explain to me why are U.S. senators allowed to tell the prosecutor general to go after somebody who was Trump's campaign manager, which is what they're doing. They're saying, you know, hey, you got to you have to cooperate more on this, which means get us more information on this. You're not doing enough here. Does anyone want to take a take a, a stab at why that's different and why, why the essential principle here is? Well, we know what it is. Democrats are allowed to abuse investigative processes however they want, whenever they want. Democrats get to play by a different set of rules. The media will back them up and they will just bludgeon us all into submission with their lies if we let them. Here you have United States senators, all Democrats. There was no there's nothing bipartisan in this letter saying, hey, Ukraine, nice relationship you got there. Bad thing. uh, Bad thing. If anything happened to it with the U.S., why don't you get us a little more on uh, a little more help on the Manafort situation? A little more to work with there. That's foreign interference, isn't it? Or is it foreign cooperation on law enforcement? If it's the latter, what is the problem with what Trump did? See, folks, it's all—it's all about how you tell, you know, how you tell the story. It's all about the way that they construct the facts, the words they use, and it's all meant to create a a feeling, not a reality, a feeling that something nefarious must have gone on here. That Trump must be a bad guy. There's nothing nefarious here. All right, the president knew that other people listening on that call, he did not break the law. The DOJ has already told us that this is all just a soft coup attempt again by unhinged Democrats to take down this president because they just can't handle it. They don't know what to do. Impeachment is what they're trying to get at. Maybe we should maybe we should talk a bit about that in a moment. holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Well, I thought we won. I thought it was dead. 
it was dead. The Mueller report, no obstruction, no collusion. You look at all of the things that happened. Uh, Corey Lewandowski was fantastic the other day as as a person that they have been tormenting. You look at all the people that they've tormented, all the legal fees. People came here with with bright eyes. They wanted to make life so great for other people. And they left where they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees that they didn't have. And it's a sad thing. What these Democrats have done to ruin lives is so sad. I have seen people with only good intention. They came to Washington because they wanted to make the United States and the world a better place. And they went home. They were dark. They got hit by Mueller subpoenas. I think there were 2,500 subpoenas or some ridiculous number. 500 people were interviewed. And yet they don't interview Joe Biden. And his son, if you're a Democrat, you have automatic protection. That's years and years of people putting in certain people into positions. Uh, but when you look at all of the um, all of the trauma that these fakers have caused and the press, look, the press is much of the press is not only fake, it's corrupt. These stories they write are corrupt. Certainly a corrupt story in The Washington Post that D.N.I. McGuire said he would resign unless he could testify in front of Congress. He says that that's not the case. I believe D.N.I. McGuire. I do not believe The Washington Post, the Jeff Bezos Post. Uh, I, I think that that much we should all be very clear on. But now we're moving to impeachment. Uh, and it's, it's important as we do that that we understand none of this is without cost and consequence. Some of it the president was getting into there. People have gone bankrupt. People have had their careers and their livelihoods ruined by Democrats who are acting under false pretenses, who are abusing their offices, who are abusing the power that they are given by the American people, by the U.S. Constitution, because that's who they are, because they're dishonest people and they don't care about what has been done to good people along the way. They've sent people to prison for nonsense in the Mueller probe. I mean, you still have Roger Stone, who had dozens of uh, heavily armed police come in in through his his door at at five o'clock in the morning. It was like they were doing a raid on El Chapo or something. It was just, just nuts. And we all know it. They don't feel bad about this at all. These people are gross. These Democrats that use their power in this way are shameful. And now they're moving into a whole next level of shame with impeachment. Uh, They're going to say that this is all about they're they're going to violate the spirit and letter of the Constitution while pretending that they are the ones upholding it. They're going to come up with all kinds of, of creative writing exercises to show what a bad guy Trump is, how terrible President Trump is. And that's something that I think uh, we should at least know before we get into this is what the Democrats thought before about impeachment. And this is great. And by the way, I had not seen Jerry Nadler back in the 90s. It was interesting. Um, Jerry Nadler was at one point a big opponent of impeachment. Democrats, you go back and look at what they were saying in the in the era of Bill Clinton, when it was very obvious that Bill Clinton had broken the law, had engaged in conduct that was 
that rose to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors. But the Democrats all of a sudden have, have changed on what is acceptable. They, they no longer feel that there's a, a need to uh, defend a president on these things. They are driven by hatred. They hate Bill and Hillary Clinton so much they will stop at nothing to bring him down. Because we are here, as we are here today, because the Republicans in the House are paralyzed with hatred of President Clinton, and until the Republicans free themselves of this hatred, our country will suffer. And one of the reasons we all feel so angry about what they are doing is that they are ripping from us, they are ripping asunder our votes. They are telling us that our votes don't count. There must never be a narrowly voted impeachment or an impeachment supported by one of our major political parties and opposed by the other. Bill Clinton acted deplorably in his personal behavior. But what the American people are saying loudly and clearly is let's get on with the business. This is their president we are talking about. And we in Congress had better be very careful before we upset their decision and make darn sure that our decision to impeach him was based upon principle and not politics. My fear is that when a Republican wins the White House, Democrats will demand payback. Oh, the will of the people was to be respected then. What has happened to change that now? And just as an aside, you heard there what you had. Pelosi and Nadler and Bernie and Biden and all these voices. These people just never get real jobs. Huh? They just they just stay in elected office forever, it seems. And that never, never feel the need to go and be normal people. They want to be in elected office for their entire adult lives if they can. I know we could have a whole conversation here about term limits, but that would get us a bit off topic. It, it is just a reminder of that, though. Jerry Nadler has been a a member of the Congress for how many years now? Nancy Pelosi, how many years? Well, we really need these people. They really represent the the best and the the brightest of what we have to offer. I I don't think so. But the the storyline there, just put aside the facts for a moment. And the facts for the Clinton impeachment weren't really in dispute. Clinton lied under oath. Uh, Clinton obstructed justice. And... Everyone kind of knew it. They just said, well, but we don't really care that he did it. You know, the economy is pretty good. And, you know, this is this is the will of the people as evidence through election. Of course, the first time around in, in the uh, Clinton election, he didn't even get 50 percent of the vote. Right. Thank you for that. Well, I guess now R.I.P. Ross Perot. But Ross Perot was the anomaly that led to a Clinton presidency. Right? If Ross Perot doesn't run, I think it's quite clear that you wouldn't have had a Clinton presidency. And that is something that's also lost to history with a lot of people. The point here is that the will of the people through an election was a rallying cry of the Democrats when it was Bill Clinton who was being impeached. And that is not something Democrats will accept now, even though not only did we just have an election in 2016, the president convincingly won. We are about to have another election. If Trump is as terrible as they say he is, I always tell you, why do they have to lie about what he says and does? But beyond that, if he's so awful, why are they so frightened of having an election where the American people get to decide? 
They talk about the sanctity of our democracy constantly, Nancy Pelosi and Schumer and all the rest of them. And yet they try to subvert that democratic process with these legalistic, dishonest, hoax, soft coup attempts over and over again. You got to think to yourself, okay, well, if they like democracy so much, how about allowing us a little democracy? How about letting this play out and let the American people decide? Well, I think we all know why that's a problem for them. If they let the American people decide, they might make what the left and what the libs would think is the wrong decision. So they're not willing to let the American people decide in 2020 if they can avoid it. They would rather create an impeachment fiasco and then have the American, well, they'd really rather have Trump brought up on charges and, and criminally prosecuted. If they could do it, they would. Now, they're not going to get him removed from office. That's not going to happen. So then you have to ask yourself, okay, well, if they can't get him removed from office, what's the whole point of this? Don't assume that Democrats are brilliant strategists. I do think a lot of this is driven by their rage against the president. They hate this president. Absolutely hate him. And that affects the way that they view everything here. That affects their decision-making process about whether or not they should even go to this impeachment inquiry. But the impeachment inquiry is meant to be a tool not just to keep Trump on the defensive, but also then a giant excuse for calling, you know, calling more witnesses and calling more testimony. They're still hoping to get that one bit of smoking gun evidence, even if they have to manufacture it, even if they have to plant it. That will end a Trump presidency and, and bring about a vice president, Pence, ascending to the president role and then have an election in which the Democrats are quite, they believe, quite a short of victory against Mike Pence. Uh, I think that they are miscalculating politically here, but I certainly, I hope they're miscalculating politically. We'll have to see if I'm correct or not. Look, even, uh, even a- here's what AOC I guess we're going to turn to her for Democrat wisdom now. Here's what she had to say on impeachment. Play 14. I personally do not believe in fulfilling my obligations to my job based on polling data. I think we need to do our job. And we've been elected and sent here by the people of the United States of America to fulfill all of our obligations under the Constitution of the United States. When it does come to polling, all of this polling, much of these polling numbers came out before this. 100 percent true really shattering allegation True. and so that polling da- data is not reflective of of a, a shift that has united almost the entire democratic caucus plus plus an independent member that has that was forced to leave the republican caucus because of the the blatant uh, ignoring of this law breaking and rule break- breaking behavior out of this administration so i think the ground has shifted i don't believe in making decisions based on polling i believe in our ability to organize the public to educate the public to talk to the public about why not just we as members of congress must impeach the president but why all people in the united states of america must recognize and understand that we need to put our country first It's a nice little Model UN speech she just gave there. It's like she's trying out for the the JV team in high school, Lincoln-Douglas speech and debate. Yeah, it's about educating all the American people about, sure, good luck with that. Yeah, you're really going to get a lot of Trump supporters based on what's gone on the last three years to go along with impeachment. Yeah, that's that's an honest assessment of what really needs to happen here. I also love this pretense that Democrats 
don't care what the polls say. Really? Then why haven't they? Why didn't they start the impeachment inquiry a year ago? Why didn't they start it the day the Mueller probe ended? If you wanted to wait for that to be the be the uh, the case. Oh, because they're just not sure. They just don't know. Ooh, how is this gonna How is this gonna look for us? If it were all about the sanctity of our democracy and protecting the Constitution, wouldn't they just do it? If it's the right thing to do, shouldn't they do it without sitting around trying to gauge whether or not it's going to cost them seats in the House and the Senate? It's all for show, folks. It's all a big lie. We know it. You know it. It's also one of the reasons why trust in the media has gone to all-time lows, but I think that's a good thing. I I think the, the model of... The nonpartisan journalist, that's that's broken for anybody who's paying attention. Anyone who's honest and understands what's really going on in this country knows that a, the nonpartisan media is a myth. It's a myth. And I don't think that that's ever coming back. The Democrats as paragons of ethics, as virtuous people, I have to tell you, this is one of the more difficult things that we're supposed to swallow every day based on what's reported in various newspapers and on the various cable news channels that are appendages of the Democrat National Committee. I thought this was a funny moment, though, because it was a real question posed to Elizabeth Warren And all of a sudden, Elizabeth Warren didn't have robot Warren, didn't have the talking points ready to go, did not compute, did not know what to do. Here's what she said. Play 10. Could you say whether or not under Warren administration, would your vice president's child be allowed to serve on a board of a foreign company? No, I don't. I don't. I I, I don't know. I mean, I I have to go back and look at the details. Do you think there could be a problem? I, I have to go back and look. I, I, I have to, I, I, oh, I, I, you know, doesn't, doesn't know. She's asking you what you think. The supporter's asking you, do you think that Joe Biden's son sitting on the board of Burisma was ethical? The answer is it's not ethical, folks. Okay. The answer is everybody knows that it looks bad. And when it comes to the United States government at that level, looking bad is enough for you to not do something, for it to be prohibited, for it to be a bad idea. Is it illegal? That all depends. That's where we get into quid pro quo. This is one of the reasons why corruption often gets mired in political debates. Well, what's corrupt to one person is just the way of doing business for another person or a way of getting things done in politics. But no serious person could say that Hunter Biden sitting on the board of Burisma in Ukraine looks okay. But Elizabeth Ward here can't even tell you one way or the other because she just doesn't want she knows that it would be preposterous to say yeah that's fine i'm all about cleaning up uh cleaning up the wall street connection to politics and getting money out of politics but sure you know if my nephew wants to get paid a couple million dollars to be on a board seat of a company that might live and die by my whim um yeah no that people are going to pick up on on that is disingenuous but elizabeth warren who right now looks like you know Biden is supposed to be the great hope of the Democrat Party, but Elizabeth Warren is right there and beating him in some polls right now. Uh, But she makes promises like this in order to get there. Play 11. We need to say by 2028, we're not going to do any more buildings and houses that have any carbon emissions. 
By 2030, no more cars with carbon emissions. And by 2035, no more production of electricity that has carbon emissions. Never trust a politician who's telling you what is going to happen in the economy, in technology, in the climate 20 or 30 years out. I mean, it's 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 absurd, almost beyond comp- it's it's beyond comprehension, the degree of absurdity that we are being asked to accept here via Elizabeth Warren just pandering to the insane Democrat base on climate change. No, no carbon emissions, no houses, cars, or electricity with carbon emissions in the next 16 years. That's not going. 16 years, I assume they pick because, you know, eight years of Warren and then eight years of another Democrat, right? That's, that's that, how that number comes up. It's completely unrealistic. It's never going to happen. Why even talk about it then? Why pretend? Well, the Democratic Party right now is all about socialism and unattainable nonsense promises that come along with socialism, including the radical transformation of our economy for the purposes of combating climate change, the so-called Green New Deal as the template for it. So Warren is not going to be putting us in any better position than any of these other Democrats. I think Biden would probably be better than Warren if we're really going really to talk about it. Global Verification Network, the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. Look, they're federally certified as a veteran-owned small business, so if you want to support a veteran-owned and operated company and have the best background checks in the business at your disposal, you need to call my friends at Global Verification Network. Their risk mitigation experts are headquartered in Chicago but can work through their offices across the nation. They'll take on startups all up to Fortune 100 companies, and no data or client information is ever offshored, and all employees are located throughout the United States. Give them a call. Global Verification Network, 877-695-1179. Again, 877-695-1179. You can also go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com. Make sure you tell them you heard about them on the Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. There's a, been a lack of transparency uh, in that whole process about, you know, which polls are selected, which aren't, uh, which they're seeing as qualifying, which ones are actually polling. Uh, and when you have a lack of transparency for voters in our Democratic primary process, then you're, you're seeing the lack of trust starting to, to grow or they're saying, what's really going on here? And they're, they're very trendy, you know, spending time with, with voters in Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, they don't take kindly to seeing how, you know, a few people in Washington, D.C. Uh, at the DNC are trying to be the gatekeepers to say, well, here are, the, here are the people we think you should be allowed to choose from as voters. And you don't get to hear from any of these other people because they recognize and, and take the responsibility that they have as voters very seriously. So I don't want to just sit on the show and uh, and bash Democrats all the time, although they deserve a lot of bashing. Sometimes I like to talk about things about the Democrat Party or the specific Democrats that I that is is not terrible. I think we could say not not horrible. Uh, I I love the fact, for example, you know, we've got the 
um, October Democrat debate coming up. And, and Tulsi Gabbard there was talking about how she has qualified for it. She's received her third poll. So you're going to have 12 candidates as of now who have qualified for the October Democrat debate. And uh, what I was saying about the one of the stories here, the Democrat primary that I love is just Andrew Yang is beating Kamala Harris nationally. And Harris was a favorite of elite Democrat media. They thought that she was the likely I was talking to people who said, oh, it's going to be, you know, Harris is a, she's got all the upside of Biden, but she's obviously also adds to diversity in the party. She's a female and and is you know that and you put those you put all these components together and essentially they thought that she was going to be and now Andrew Yang is doing better than her at the national level but Tulsi Gabbard is somebody who all along I've I've thought yeah she says things about Trump that are horrendous and untrue and she's a democrat right so let's just start she's a democrat but her and Yang are the least unbelievably annoying of the Democrats in this field. And there is something to, yeah, I, I try to find places now where I can bring us all back to a little bit more of a, of a uh, friendly bipartisan reality whenever possible, you know, br- bring us away from just the, cause we are going to be my friends in the political trenches for the next 13 months. I mean, it's just going to be every day, more lies about Trump, more lies about Republicans. Uh, the, future of conservatism brought into into doubt by Democrat status who will stop at nothing for power. So we're going to have all that stuff. Occasionally, though, I like to look at the other side and say, all right, you know, we all we all love our children. right? We all love dogs and apparently cats based on some of the emails that we've gotten. Producer Mark. Producer Mark is ignoring me right now, but he knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, there, there's we, a lot going on here. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's cat emails, so we're gonna have to get to some of those. Can't wait. Yeah, but Tulsi uh, is a person who comes across as earnest and uh, and and not spiteful, and I think that that's where you, there's a real separation from some. I mean, Bernie Sanders is spiteful toward Trump and Republicans. So is Biden, who says he'll beat Trump like a drum and. Uh, so are a lot of the, uh, Beto O'Rourke. Absolutely. It's Beto O'Rourke is like, I'm, I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to take your AR-15 and I'm going to turn it into a guitar because I just, all I need is a couple of strings with your AR and then it turns into a guitar like AR. That's right. Beto's got plans for you. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the gun stuff in a, in a few moments here. But uh, Tulsi Gabbard got her third qualifying poll. Andrew Yang is doing much better than people thought. Even even when you think that people's policy ideas are crazy. And some of you are like, ah, oh, buck, boo, they're all terrible. I know. I'm not I'm not saying I I like any of the Democrat candidates' platforms and what they stand for. I'm just saying there are degrees of terrible. So we need to remember that. There are degrees of terrible among Democrats. And by establishing what those separations are and by being willing to discuss and say, you know, what the differences are between these candidates, it puts us in a position to also perhaps start to bring some more Democrats back into the light of reason and rationality and, and decency and not get caught up in this vortex of statism and Trump hatred and just the, the utter – and then there's the, the deep immorality of the Democratic Party on certain issues. I mean the most notable one is 
third trimester abortion, which Tulsi Gabbard broke with the Democrat Party on that. And they will not forget that. You know, she's not she says, OK, there should be maybe some restrictions there, which you might say, Buck, well, of course, and that's not nearly enough. Yeah, but to be a Democrat now, you have to be comfortable with infanticide as a Democrat in all but name or else Planned Parenthood is going to destroy you. And Planned Parenthood is very powerful. And the Democratic Party is singular in its defense of abortion in under any circumstances at any phase of a pregnancy, period. There's no there's no room for debate or discussion. And that's also what drove a lot of the ferocity behind the effort to destroy Kavanaugh. They knew that, well, at least they believe. I see, I don't even think Kavanaugh is going to do or, or would do what they believe uh, could happen there, which was overturning Roe v. Wade. As other uh, legal analysts have been pointing out who are smart and know what they're talking about, it would be a limitation imposed more likely on Planned Parenthood v. Casey. It wouldn't be Roe v. Wade that just gets overturned entirely. But Tulsi was willing to break with them on that. And the Democrat establishment hates her as a result because she's not utterly dogmatic on all of these issues. And because Andrew Yang is willing to talk to people on the other side, he's willing to talk to Republicans and and approach them in good faith on these issues. There's a major separation there between what you get with the other Democratic candidates who are just always uh, doing everything in their power to just browbeat all the rest of us into submission, to convince all the rest of us that we are not uh, we are not to be negotiated with on politics. We're not to be approached in good faith. We are to be smashed and destroyed. That's what's supposed to happen to conservatives. That's the overwhelming message that you get from most of the Democrats. Hey, Tulsi's going to be in the debates. And, you know, Yang, I mean, I'm, I'm not Yang Yang, but uh, we, we, should get, we should get Yang on. I interviewed him at the, at the Hill a couple of times. And Tulsi just went on the Hill earlier this week. So maybe we got to find her. I, I would have a very civil and worthwhile conversation with either one of those candidates. With Beto, I would only be able to do it if I could interview Beto as Beto and ask him about his guitar AR, his guitar AR, right? Because it's a guitar with an AR. Anyway, I don't know. I kind of thought we could make some, we could get some traction on that, but I can kind of hear the booze right now. Uh, his guitar, because he's Beto O'Rourke. I, I said today on Twitter, I really mean this, that Adam Schiff is the Beto O'Rourke of the House Intelligence Committee because he is the worst. <laughs> so I still maintain, especially now that Warren Wilhelm de Blasio is out of the race, that uh, Beto O'Rourke is, is the worst. Um, that's, that's where I stand on that. Uh, I want to talk to you, though. Speak, I, I'm thinking about, I got Beto on the brain once. I like to do my impersonation of him, which is really, if Keanu Reeves were an evil politician, he would sound like Beto O'Rourke, right? So that's how we do the impersonation. But I want to talk to you about the plan that, uh, well, that's been discussed for an assault weapons ban from Democrats. They keep saying that the White House any moment now is going to roll out some gun control package that the Republicans will go along with. I've been saying, well, in an election year, this is just, this is nuts. This is not a good idea. All you're going to do as a, as a Republican is, is hurt your base and hurt your support by going forward with a gun control package that's not going to save any lives and does not make sense just because you want to quiet the Democrats. You know, placating the left is not a winning strategy for us. Uh, but I want to talk about a, uh, some testimony on Capitol Hill recently where a, a, uh, an analyst from the Heritage Foundation 
really made a compelling case. I mean, it's stuff that I've said before here on the show, but she did a great job of presenting a compelling case of why an assault weapons ban is um, a bad idea. It is counterproductive and actually uh, not just, it's not just that it wouldn't do good things. It would have bad results. We'll get into that in a moment. Team, there was a congressional hearing earlier this week over a proposed assault weapons ban. And I thought that you should hear some of the testimony. There was excellent, excellent uh, expert testimony from Amy Swearer, who is a an analyst at the Heritage Foundation. I thought she did a really compelling job explaining different aspects of – she's a senior legal policy analyst there. We should probably get her on the show. Um, she explains why this assault weapons ban idea that keeps coming up that liberals will not let go of is a bad idea. Play 24. Chairman Nadler, Ranking Member Collins, and distinguished members of Congress. My name is Amy Swearer, and I am the Senior Legal Policy Analyst at the Heritage Foundation's Edme Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. Just as doctors can only recommend an effective treatment plan if they first form a correct diagnosis based on accurate assessment of the symptoms, policy analysts and policy makers must have an accurate understanding of the societal problems they are seeking to combat. Unfortunately, too many policymakers appear completely uninformed about basic factual realities related to guns and gun violence. Don't misunderstand me. We all want safer communities. But the characteristics distinguishing so-called assault weapons from non-assault weapons are not factors like caliber, lethality, or rate of fire. Proposals to ban scary-looking features like barrel shrouds or pistol grips are, for all intents and purposes, proposals to force law-abiding citizens to own guns that are harder for them to handle, harder to fire accurately, and more likely to cause them injuries even when they are being used for lawful purposes. Very important point here, a number of them, but that the banning of cosmetic features, uh, the banning of cosmetic features on, on a on a weapon, all that means is that for somebody who is going to be using this to defend himself or herself, you're putting them in, in legal jeopardy for owning a weapon they may ne- they may need for home defense purposes. People that have a foregrip on their rifle are not bad people. Right? That's, there's, there's no difference for a criminal if you say, well, you can't have a foregrip. Guess what? They're, they're going to have it. But somebody that's going to have a rifle at home legally, they might say, well, I guess I can't hold my weapon comfortably now. And I guess if I already own this, my own government is deciding that I'm some kind of criminal if I continue to own it. She goes on, though. Play 25. Moreover, semi-automatic rifles are not a meaningful driving factor behind rates of gun violence. Two-thirds of gun deaths in this country are suicides, where the type of firearm is essentially irrelevant. With respect to gun crimes, over 90% are committed with handguns. Rifles of any kind are definitively used in only 3 to 4% of gun homicides every year, and an American citizen is four times as likely to be stabbed to death than they are to be shot to death with a rifle of any kind. Despite frequent claims that semi-automatic rifles are the weapon of choice for mass public shooters, in the last decade, over half of these shootings have been carried out with handguns alone. 
On the other hand, semi-automatic rifles like the AR-15 are so well suited for defensive action against threats in a civilian context that the Department of Homeland Security quite literally designates them as personal defense weapons for law enforcement officers. Personal defense weapons. Not not some weapon of first choice for all mass shooters. It's not accurate to say that, as she points out. You've got a half of all shootings involving uh, mass casualty incidents are with handguns, and a vast majority of gun crime in general is handguns. Very small percentage is rifles. So what's with the focus on rifles? Well, the focus on rifles is just the incrementalism of the status left coming out for all to see. First you ban the rifles, then you ban the handguns. First you do a buyback a successful, quote, buyback, which is just compensated confiscation, and you will not get market value. You'll get whatever they give you. And I know a lot of you are like, Buck, it's not going to happen. And I understand that. It is not going to happen. But that's their plan. That's what they've been talking about. But once they've done a confiscation like that, then it becomes much more readily uh, available to them as an option to do a confiscation of handguns. Right? They say, well, it works so well with it works so well with rifles. Now we're going to do any handgun that holds more than 10 rounds. So basically, you're going to have a majority of magazine-fed pistols are going to be, uh, there's going to be a buyback for all those, too. There's going to be a lot of weapons, hundreds of millions of them probably, but a lot of weapons out there. They say, oh, but you can keep your revolver. You can keep a revolver and you can keep a double-barreled shotgun, you know, the old, the old Elmer Fudd. And that's it. That's all you get to have. It's also why when they talk about universal background checks, oh, well, once you've got the universal background checks, now you have a centralized system for every single firearms transaction in the country. Over a few years' time, or maybe you know, 10 years' time, it depends on how you want to gauge it, you'll have a perfect registry from which you can then operate your further or future buyback operations, confiscation. This is, this is not that hard to figure out. And when you understand what the anti-gun left really thinks of gun owners and of the Second Amendment, you realize that this is where this is heading. There's no reason to believe that they would say, okay, now we, can, now we finally have enough, we finally have enough um, gun laws in place. I think we do have enough gun laws in place. I don't think there is another law that's, that's useful or helpful. And if anything, and I know I've been talking to you about the process in New York City. I haven't started it yet. I've got a few reasons for that, but I'm going to be starting it soon. I think we have too many gun laws. You just uh, hamper, you just slow down the law abiding under the false promise of limiting gun violence and bringing down gun crime, which is not going to happen. So you have to ask yourself, well, why should we do this? Oh, because Democrats insist this has become a promise to their base. A lot of this really is cultural. I, I, I talk to people here in New York City. People that are listening to the show across the country, a lot of you not only own firearms, but have spent time around them. There are a lot of folks who are here in New York City who are scared. And I mean, these are adults who are frightened at the notion that their neighbor may legally own a gun. They find that unsettling. They find that to be a cause for major concern. And they're just in general scared of anybody other than law enforcement having firearms. You know, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of law enforcement. You all listen to the show know this, but there's no special magic. You know, cops make mistakes, too. I mean, guns in anyone's hands can be a bad thing. Mistakes happen. Bad things can go down. 
But they're they're not uncomfortable when they say police with a with a firearm. But heaven forbid they find out that somebody who lives near them is a lawful gun owner. It really is. It's a cultural separation from different parts of the country. L.A., New York City, San Francisco. You can't own guns. What do you mean? Why would why would you want why would you want to own a gun? Is the first place that they start. That's the first question. Why would you ever want to have a gun? And then, of course, I start rattling off all kinds of situations. One, I like shooting. It's fun. Two, I believe in the Second Amendment. Three, I want to be able to defend myself and not rely on law enforcement if someone breaks into my home or is an imminent threat to my life. And as somebody who works in the media and has a bit of a public profile, that also feels perhaps a little bit more urgent than it would just for some other folks. You know, you think, well, who's going to really come after me at home? Go on TV and talk about how Trump isn't Hitler, and then we can have a conversation about whether you would like to be able to lawfully protect yourself from psycho libs, because there's a lot of them out there. I thought this uh, Amy Swearer uh, did a great job up on Capitol Hill, and I don't think the assault weapons ban is going anywhere. holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Yes, it is. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for the Roll Call. That's all you need. That's all you need to know, folks. We got it covered. Or you can send it to Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Right? Isn't that right? That's right. Good thing. That is correct. There we go. I've only been saying it every day for the last week, so maybe I should remember it. Then again, it's like whenever I try to do the phone number. For some reason, I, I still – I think it's because I committed it to memory because I want to do the best fill-in host possible. I remember Glenn Beck's call-in number when I used to fill in for Glenn on radio and not uh, and not my own. I, I've, I've said the wrong number a few times. So uh, and I, I remember Rush's number too, so there's that. All right, Deborah writes in first up. This is at the, uh, at the email address. Cats do not bond with people. It is only the food. Dogs love you no matter what. Well, Deborah, I can tell you that there are going to be some cat owners out there who are going to say, you know, it's a little, you know, they're a little bit, a little bit cross with you over this one. We got a lot of cat owners who have been writing in and sending in messages telling us that cats can be just as loving as dogs and you just haven't spent time with them. And, and I'm not the cat, the cat hater, as we know, is Mark, which is, look. Producer Mark is entitled to his opinion. He has a fir- he has First Amendment rights too in the Freedom Hunt. They are disgusting. Wow, Patriots. he's doubling down on this one, folks. I don't know what to tell you. You know, he's he's just not a cat guy. Uh, I would say I, I think that the third most popular mammal as pet after cats and dogs are uh, dogs are number one, then cats, and then I think it's ferret. Which I, I, I that is that is one that I do not really. You ever met a pet ferret? No, but I've met a pet rabbit. I think that might be third. I think rabbits are third, really? Yeah. Wouldn't you rather have a bunny than a ferret? 
Yeah, but you know, if somebody is like causing problems for you, you know, you could you could have like a a home defense ferret. True. You know, it could be reptiles too. A lot of people have snakes. No. And stuff like that. Well, I said mammal though, so we're we're okay, staying in the mammal. Yeah, people obviously have more. There are more people with goldfish, I think, and and probably birds even than there are uh, ferrets. But if you're going mammal, I will say because of my little sister a few years ago, it was her idea. I met just just to prep is was her idea, but I did meet micro pigs. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, I think they're also called teacup pigs. They are the pigs the size of a chihuahua. They're amazing. They're amazing little fellows. You know, they're, they're very affectionate, actually, believe it or not. I even have photos of this. Maybe I should put, see, this is why you guys need to follow me on Instagram, because I'll put up these fun photos sometimes. You can see the teacup pig photos uh, whenever you like. So check that out for sure. Um, Daryl, also writing in on cats versus dogs. Uh, dogs treat you like family, cats treat you like a servant. Well, Daryl, that's a quote. I know you, you said you're not sure who came up with it first. I'll just tell you that Churchill had a, had a quote that's pretty well known, that um, dogs look up to you, cats look down on you, only pigs look you in the eye. So bring in, see, bring in a full circle there with the pig situation. That's what I, that's what I do. It's how I roll. Uh, let's see. Gina... Buck, I was going to comment on Ann Coulter's appearance today featuring conservative guests on Fair.us regarding her comments about President Trump doesn't get anything done. But now I can't get through, so I'm attaching to previous email. Maybe I'm being blocked. Um, okay. Thanks, Gina. We'll, we'll, we will look into it. Robert, you are wrong about cats. You must have some experience with them to get it. I was and still am a dog lover, but now I have five cats in my house. Safe to say I'm an animal lover. They are loving in their own way. You guys don't know what you don't know. Hmm. Well, five cats. That's a lot of... I think that, Rob, I think that makes you a cat man. Um, you know, we always hear about cat ladies, but I think that makes you a cat man. Kent... Which might be, uh, that's, you know, that'd be good. Oh, well, here we go, Kent. Buck, I just want to pass this story along. I've been with your show since the very beginning on The Blaze, and I'm 99% sure I've listened to every episode. I've brought my wife on board as a fan as well. You, Rush, Shapiro, and Matt Walsh are the people I have a deep respect for and gratitude toward for your breadth and depth of knowledge and your willingness to slog through the daily news to sort out what's important and put it in my, and put it in perspective. Well, that's very elite company, uh, Ken. Thank you. My four-year-old daughter, Zoe, listens to your show with us on occasion in the evening, and I didn't realize I was inadvertently creating another Team Buck member. My wife, Rachel, uh, my wife, Rachel, was at the grocery store one day, and Zoe grabbed the glasses you see in this picture. He sent me a picture and brought them to checkout. Oh, that's so cute. There's First of all, uh, she's, she's adorable, and I like the American flag glasses. When mom asked if they were her 4th of July sunglasses, she said very emphatically, no, these are my Buck Sexton glasses. We hadn't really told her anything about your show, and she must have just picked it up on her own. Mom followed up with, oh, you heard dad and I listen to Buck Sexton talk about the news? Her reply, no, mom, Buck Sexton is the news. I thought you'd appreciate that. I do, Kent. This is one of my favorite emails in a very long time. Thanks again for all you do. I hope to make it one of you, I hope to make it to one of your events. Um, you're one of the only people I know I'd truly like to meet in person. 
And uh, thank you so much. Kent, God bless you, man. That's a very nice email, and it's really appreciated, and and thank you for sending it in. And, yeah, I'd love to meet any member of the team. Uh, we did an event here in New York City, as I said. We had about 250 people show up. Um, I'm hoping to do some more live events across the country. And any of you who are Stansbury subscribers, you can go to the Stansbury Research Conference in Vegas. I will be there on October I always forget the date, pardon me, just because I'm forgetful these days. Because I, I tell people this, they think that I'm making it up. I have to jam so much information into my head every day that I feel like my short-term memory suffers sometimes. The uh, 8th and 9th of October, I will be in Vegas for the Stansbury Research Conference. So you can check that out. Um, and next up here in the roll call... Cats actually bond to normally one person, different than dogs. They just like everyone. Once your cat bonds to you, they become best friends. They're still independent. That's the difference. But they are all different. My cat is like a dog. She rolls on her back when she's happy for belly uh, pats. She's at the door every day to greet me. They run on you because they're happy and you are their person. They run chin on everything when they're excited to see you. They purr. Dogs don't purr. That is unique. They are sweet. Some are not, but they all have fun personalities. Some are mean, yes. They have a tough life for the cat haters. The cats outside get abused, get shot with BB guns, get hurt, and are born with sicknesses. Many kitties out there are sick, and they've got eye problems. Uh, Many lose their sight. It's very sad. They can be loving and cuddly cats sleeping on my bed every night. They can be annoying, but I try to love them for who they are. And help them when they see the outside. They could be lost. Someone could love it. And now it's lost. Someone's never, sometimes never found. They get very lonely. Anne. Well, Anne, thank you for writing in. You're, this is a very eloquent uh, email about cats. So I feel like we've all learned more about cats as a result. Um, I am going to uh, take a moment here to let everyone catch their breath as we're getting. Oh, oh, that's right. Today is the first day. And I know this because. Well, it's today, <laughs> so I know what's happening today. The podcast of The Buck Sexton Show is available by 3 Eastern every day. So do subscribe to it. Tell others to subscribe to it. Let it be known that you can now listen to The Buck Sexton Show every day in drive time, on your way home, on your way wherever. You can listen in the office, too, if you're in the office to you know 5, 6, 7 o'clock. No better way to spend it. Then to listen to the Buck Sexton Show on the podcast. As we've been telling you, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all the different po- iHeart radio app. You can listen to it there as well. Uh, but we really would love to see a number of new people joining Team Buck because you spread the word. And just tell them, look, give this guy a shot. Let, let him do your daily news uh, deep dive for you when you go home, uh, when you're on your way home from the office. Because we'll be... Well, for some of you, it'll be at lunchtime if you're on the West Coast, but we'll certainly be in drive time for a drive time listenable for the entire country, which is a big step for us. And we appreciate that uh, we'll still be with all of our affiliates. You'll be listening to the show. And if there's ever a need with, uh, with big breaking news, we could always come in later on in the day and put something out or, or uh, go, go live in any time we need to. But the podcast is going to be a real effort going forward for the show and growing those podcast numbers. Because we want you to be able to listen when you want to listen. And if that means that your local station is the best option for you, fantastic. But for other people you know who don't live in your area, don't have that station, or aren't, aren't traditional radio listeners, 
We would really, really love it if you would uh, tell them to subscribe to the Buck Sexton Show. We're going to push it on social media. We're going to put it up on Facebook, on Twitter. And uh, would, it, would, it would mean the world to me now, going on how many years we've been doing this show, if my, uh, my goal here is to make it easy for everyone to listen to this show who wants to every day. And if I'm right, that will be a game changer for us in a lot of ways, because it will just mean that we have unlimited audience expansion possibilities, which is what we're really looking to do. Because I, I, I don't think that there's, and I will say this, I, mean, I do not think that there's a better radio show. So I'll just say it because that's my belief because I'm the host of this show. So I would love for you to spread the word about it. And some of you are like, okay, maybe, well, Rush is, Rush is the ultimate. But, you know, I still love my show the most. We'll be right back. Whatever the Democrats want to do with this latest allegation, uh, with this latest effort, whatever it is, I I promise you, this president, his vice president, this administration is going to keep fighting to deliver for the American people. And that's why I think President Trump's going to get four more years in the White House. And with all the shenanigans going on on Capitol Hill, I think we're going to reelect a Republican majority to the House of Representatives. I just wanted to let the vice president uh, put a little sunshine in your day there. I know we're going to get back into roll call in a second, but I, I thought you should hear that, that, you know, we, we're going to have to face the the lies and, and the political opponents out there that play very dirty, and we're going to be doing it together for the next year. But I do want you all to know that I, I think I think we're going to win in the end. I'll, I'll just, I'm going to go on record now. I do think Trump is going to get reelected, and I think it's all going to more or less work out. It's going to be a fight. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to be easy, but I think we will reach a place where we feel very confident uh, in in the future and, and in where the, the country is headed in as much as a, any administration can play a role in that. I mean, I'm always a believer in there's no such thing as perfect politics or a perfect politician, so don't get your hopes up too high. Let me get it back into uh, some of the roll call here to close out uh, the show today. Um, which we're also doing, by the way, from downtown Manhattan. We we usually do the show in Midtown, but now we're downtown, so I feel like we're cool. You know, producer Mark, maybe we should go out and get like a like a like a six dollar mocha soy latte after this. You know what I mean? Hang out with all the the cool people. Yeah, we're so much more hip now. It's Wall Street where we are. Pretty well, much. I mean, kinda. Not really, dude. It's Tribeca where we are. We're yeah. Really gonna, yeah, come but on. But like after five o'clock, this area is dead. That's the point. Uh, okay. There's a couple clubs here and there. But, yeah. Yes. It's, well, it's a working class town. That's where we're going to be hanging out after the show. Oh, absolutely. You know, starting at in the, 3 p.m. That's what we do. So uh, let's get to Manuel, who writes, your Bernie voice is so perfect. The best I've heard. I bust up laughing every time. The French and Russian are too thick. I can visualize you doing them, but when you do Bernie, I can see the bulging eyes and head shaking and the scraggly hair. Also, your accounts of historical events, amazing memory you have. Um, And then he says some things about the previous host of this radio show, which I will not read on air. Um, Keep up the great work. You're excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Manuel. I appreciate it. (laughs) So thank you so much for writing in. Um, That is very kind of you to support me the way you do, and I'm glad... Glad you enjoyed Bernie. Bernie might send you something. You know, send it a note when your birthday is. Maybe you get a birthday a birthday message from Bernie. Although if I do that, I think we're going to do that for everybody. We'll do birthday messages all day on the show. Happy birthday, Bernie. 
I know you're actually not allowed to sing happy birthday on the radio. You get in trouble for that. You know that? It's also a bad precedent to set. Yeah. Everyone's going to want their birthday shout out. Yeah, no, I know. I know. I know what I mean. We we retract the birthday shout out offer. (laughs) We have to retract or else it's all we do. But happy birthday in advance, Manuel. Happy birthday, Manuel, whatever it is. Um, We'll only do bar mitzvahs and engagements from now on. DJ Mark makes promises that only he could keep. Um, Erwin, hey Buck, heard the story about the dog versus cat done in your podcast while doing my walk this morning. I think it's always important to remember that dogs have owners while cats have staff. Woo, somebody who's backing producer Mark up here, I think. I think that's fair to say. Dogs have owners, cats have staff. So let's see what's next here. Um, here we go. James, right? Buck, I'm a proud member of the North Louisiana Phalanx of Team Buck. I want to thank you for the daily opportunity to provide for meaningful conversations with my 13-year-old daughter. I listen to your podcast every morning while driving her to school, and she's always intrigued by the topic du jour. I'm happy to see you helping lay the foundation for the next generation of thoughtful conservatives. Team Swoop, the next generation. Shields high. Well, thank you so much, James, and I really appreciate that. That's uh, I'm so glad you and your daughter have... Uh, an area of uh, additional conversation because of this show. Yeah, I want team. I want the Team Buck youth listening to this show. I mean, really, anybody in their teen years is ready for this show. I mean, they could listen into the show and I think get a lot out of it. If you have an eight-year-old who likes it because of the funny voices I do, by all means, we like uh, Team Buck small. I don't know what we call them. Team Buck Junior Junior. I don't know. But if you're on, you know, if you're under the age of ten and you still listen to the Buck Section Show, well, you're just getting a an early start on all the statists out there. You know, you're going to be ready. By the time you get to high school, your teachers will be like, oh, my gosh, I don't know how to handle this. This kid knows so much about America and history and the Constitution and freedom. What am I going to do? Oh, James writes more here. P.S. If I may join the cavalcade of show suggestions, I recently binged all six seasons of The Americans, and it more than lived up to the hoopla. It's a fascinating look at the tail end of the Cold War through the perspective of two deeply entrenched KGB spies. No, James, I, I agree. I, I am going to watch. I am going to watch the uh, the Americans. I've heard it's a fantastic show, so I think I'm have to put that at the top of the list. I did watch a little bit of Outlander recently, which people always give me a hard time about, but it's good. Hey, Outlander Sasanak. Hey, my name is Jamie. I wear a kilt. I like to call people a Sasanak. If you haven't seen the show, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Tell people about the podcast. Say, hey, Buck Sexton's now up at 3 p.m. Eastern every day. iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart app. Spread the word far and wide, my friends. We need to get this momentum going now in time for the election year. So we have a big Team Buck footprint. I will talk to you all tomorrow. Shields high.